This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Yesterday, uh, this was all the story. Uh, all of a sudden, word came down that uh, Donald Trump was going to start poking around the steel industry and, and tariffs and such. And uh, it had everybody here. Uh, certainly wondering what the heck was going to happen. Uh, then news came down that, no, never mind, just a, uh, a meeting, nothing really, you know, ba 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 ba. And then later came down, uh, later in the afternoon, it came down that, in fact, he was looking to add tariffs uh, to steel uh, coming in and out of the United States. Let's bring in Larry Danny. Uh, Larry Danny, former mayor of the city of Hamilton, he is with us now. Larry, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. My pleasure, uh, Scott, anytime. Uh, so how much does it shake this industry and this city when we hear news like this? Uh, we were talking to the Chamber of Commerce yesterday, Keenan Loomis and such, and, and, you know, they weren't happy with the inconsistencies here and, and just the indecision. Well, it shakes us to the core. I mean, if you, and, and you know, I'm not a steel expert or an economist, but I do understand the importance of the steel industry still to the city of Hamilton and that it supports 10,000 direct jobs and uh, according to the chamber's own uh, statistics an, an additional 30,000 uh, jobs uh, related uh, in some way to, to that industry. So that's a heck of a lot of people that are directly employed in this community that might be negatively affected if indeed uh, Canada is one of the uh, countries that this illegitimate uh, and uh, erratic president um, uh, targets uh, for these uh, silly tariffs. Are you surprised? I mean, it it certainly seemed to catch everybody up here by surprise. Well, I am uh, shocked, um, uh, more than surprised, because uh, we know that uh, we do not have a trade imbalance uh, with the Americans, uh, and that ostensibly seems to be what uh, Trump is aiming that at, although I think he's just trying to distract from all of his problems. Uh, in fact, uh, statistics again uh, uh, tell us that uh, we buy more steel than we sell to the Americans. We are a reliable supplier of aluminum and steel, uh, but we buy $2 billion more than we actually uh, sell. So in fact, if there's an imbalance, it's against us, not for us. But but it, at the end of the day, uh, when you take everything into consideration, it's pretty well a, a wash where money uh, balances uh, one way and uh, the other. Uh, and so that's why I, I think everybody is shocked that Canada uh, might suffer the, uh, the erratic uh, behavior, again, of this illegitimate president who sh- who's, who's an international uh, threat to global security, it seems. Uh, on a number of fronts, not only the economic front, uh, but, you know, a couple of weeks ago he talked about uh, um, uh, uh, ensuring that the nuclear arsenal that the Americans have uh, is increased. And uh, look at what uh, Putin did in Russia. Yeah. He announced uh, this uh, stealth weapon again. So there's an arms race. Uh, and now it seems that he feels that uh, um, uh, trade wars are also good, as well as maybe real wars. This man it has to be uh, the, the worst thing that has ever happened to global st- the stability. And, and I'm not just, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm overstating it. Uh, I think there are lots of examples that demonstrate that. And hopefully the other branches of American uh, uh, government realize it finally 
and do something about it. Uh, as you mentioned, he said trade war is good for business. Uh, how can it be good for business when the stock market goes down through the toilet? I don't know. you got to ask that idiot. So you can't be asking normal people, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. And it was funny. Uh, it was odd that after the election, he bragged about how much the stock market had gone up. And then, of course, it fell a few weeks ago. And here it goes down again with the direct result of, of what he's announced. Yeah, I, I mean, try, trying to sort of assess any logic to, to his pronouncements uh, befuddles, and, and you know, I'm easily befuddled. I'm not an expert. I'm not an economist. Uh, uh, but but I've been reading those who are experts, and I've been reading comments from those who are also within his own party who are shocked that he would unleash this sort of instability on the economic front. It'll hurt American jobs as well as Canadian jobs, and it'll hurt the very people that he ostensibly was elected to try to help. And so you just got to scratch your head and, and ask yourself uh, why he's doing it. And the only thing that I can point to is his political problems um, that are besetting him, that are surrounding him, and he's looking for any way to distract. But this is not the right way to do it. I, I, you know, uh, it, you can't create instability uh, and uh, think that everything will turn out in the end because it doesn't seem it, as if it might. Now, having said that, having said that, um, Canada may be exempt from this tariff war that he's launched. Uh, there are some folks around here who feel that we will be once the facts are presented uh, to the administration. And here's the uh, other thing, Larry, you say, once the facts are, are presented to the administration, these are facts that people already know. Every, you know, and, and I guess, you know, my next question, if, if so many... Uh, why are we, uh, you know, obviously we have to pay attention to him. He's the president of the United States. He's, he's wielding a big stick here. But on the other hand, I, I mean, we, we've certainly seen this this uh, strategy before. And at the end of the day, same thing with NAFTA. There's like 36 plus states that say, no, don't, you can't, you can't scrap NAFTA. And, and it's the same thing with this decision. He's getting as much blowback from this decision. So at the end of the day, is this just all BS, Larry? Because how, how can he possibly make it happen if there's... There's so many people against it. Well, and one hopes that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the zaniness of brinksmanship that he seems to like, this so-called art of the deal where he goes to the edge and then he pulls back. The problem is that sometimes when you unleash um, this strategy, there are consequences that uh, cannot be pulled back. And although he might... Uh, and he's done it before where he says things and then a couple of days later it, it changes or it waters down. Uh, here, now, the, the, you know, if the target is indeed China, China has a huge economy as well that can, can do some serious uh, damage. Uh, but if the target is not China, uh, Canada will be swept up into this as well. And, uh, and it'll harm us. Uh, and, uh, you know, business likes stability. They like to know what's going to happen down the road so that they can make their investment, uh, strategic, uh, implementing uh, their strategic investment uh, options. And when there's instability, everybody pulls back. So it, it's not the way to govern, uh, it, it's not the way to govern a household, let alone 
a country as, as big as, and important as the uh, United States. Let me ask you something else, and this is a little off topic, but um, we, we certainly know the situation with America and guns and the tragedy that, that has occurred there, and, and of course the, the many attempts there have been made to try to, to bring some sort of gun control, uh, not eliminate guns, but certainly just have guns with rules like every other country does. Right. And, um, and you know, we certainly know what an uphill battle that has been. Well, just the other day, he sits down in one of these scenarios with, you know, uh, bipartisan scenarios. The press is there and he starts accusing everyone of being afraid of the NRA and then <laughs> speaks up against, you know what? We should be doing back background tra- uh, checks. Uh, people under 21 should not have access to these weapons. And should we even have these weapons? And like, uh, you know, everybody's sitting there with like all the Republicans look like they were in the crosshairs of a, you know, of a long gun. They look they, like deer just sitting there going, what? I can't believe he's saying this. So, yeah, you know what? so the uh, fact I, that he, and, and again, you know, here's hoping this one is true, but it, you know, the fact that he, he even does this with his so-called friends, what can you take from this? Well, that, that he is erratic, uh, doesn't have a consistent worldview about uh, international relations and politics and certainly domestic uh, relations and politics, it seems as well. He likes to shake things up, uh, and, uh, and you know, uh, he was elected because people saw him as a disruptor. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? The, 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 the fact of the matter is that earthquakes also shake things up. That doesn't work too well, though. Uh, it, it absolutely doesn't work too well. And, and that's what he is. He's an earthquake, uh, and uh, he leaves others to pick up the pieces once, once he does that. But you cannot do that. you got to have a steady hand in order to govern, and he is anything but a steady hand. And he's also undermining himself at every turn because, uh, you know, he had that meeting, and I heard him say those comments about guns as well, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to say something very supportive of, of the president. He, <laughs> exactly. he does that, and, and I, I look forward to doing that. And then, of course, the day later, he has a meeting with the NRA, and everything seems to be hunky-dory. The NRA is okay, and I'll bet you his comments will never see the light of any legislative day as well so again it it just reinforces what we've seen from the very beginning with donald trump and that is that he's erratic he doesn't uh he 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 pronounces by tweet uh and doesn't follow through on many of the things that he says but leaves you know destruction in his wake and and this is the case with with these tariffs i mean it's it's thrown everybody into a tizzy uh and and of course maybe that's what he wanted he wanted not there to be uh any russia stories for a couple of days and this is a new cycle that maybe he welcomes because everybody now is analyzing okay. this but again i come back to what the mandate of a leader is and a leader has to provide a leadership and stability not erratic behavior uh because that doesn't help anybody Larry, thanks for the time as always. Larry DeAnne has been with us, former mayor of city of Hamilton, talking uh, about Trump and, of course, the steel issue. Thank you, Larry. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Okay, thanks. All right, let's, uh, oh my goodness, here we go. Let's bring in Bill Ferguson, president of USW Local 8782. He is with us now. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Hey, not a problem. Did you see this coming at all, Bill? I mean, those in the state say, well, this is what uh, Trump campaigned on. There should be no surprises here. Were you surprised to hear this? I, I don't know if I'm surprised at anything that comes out of the United States these days. Hmm. I, but it is interesting, I must admit. 
I, you know, he talks about hitting us with 25% tariffs. I, we've always known in the steel industry that there are chronic offenders out there when it comes to dumping steel. I, the South Koreans, the Russians, the Chinese, all of these folks, they're always dumping steel into our economy, uh, always undercutting, undercutting local business. Uh, and it's been going on for an awful long time. So I think I was a little bit taken back by the 25% across the board, uh, particularly when you look at the nature of the steel business in North America. It's an integrated business. And when we produce steel in the mills in Hamilton, in Nanticoke, that steel slab may cross the border four times before it goes to an end user. Hmm. I, processors on both sides of the border, it goes both ways. And actually, I think the Americans have a surplus when it comes to steel. They got more, they, we buy more steel from them than they do from us. So I'm a little bit taken back. It almost seems naive. Uh, that this would come out, mm. but to stand up and say just 25%, I don't know. We'll have more facts as the week goes on. I understand there's lobbying going on in the background that folks are talking to each other about where there should be exemptions. But Canada has always played by the rules when it comes to steel trade. Uh, and there's never been a unfair deal done. Uh, now, I, I was... Go ahead. How concerned are you about this rhetoric? Because, again, it just seems so outlandish and, and, and wide-sweeping in the way you've described that that, that even members of his own uh, his own party are, are, are questioning this. And, and, and much like, you know, the situation with NAFTA and stuff, there's there's uh, a lot of people that are upset with this, and, and, and it really doesn't look like the support is there for this to even happen. So at the end of the day, how concerned are you with this? Do you think this is just rhetoric, or do you think that this is actually going to be policy? I think we have to take a wait-and-see approach to see what's actually going to happen. When you know the facts about the trade between the two, and again, I, I don't know all the facts. I'm sure I'm going to be brought up to speed very early next week on exactly what's going on in Washington right now. But when you look at the facts of trade, it just doesn't make sense. Hmm. And when you look at how steel flows, how aluminum flows, it doesn't make sense. So sitting here from a common sense point of view, you really have to wait and see how this thing is going to come out because I don't see it making sense to do. I, when you talk about the nature of the trade, okay, they cut a million tons that we can't ship to the United States. We cut a million tons from the United States that can't come here. <laughs> We're still even. Yeah, yeah. Bill, I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. For anybody. Uh, Bill Ferguson has been with us, president of USW Local 8782. Bill, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Not a problem, my friend. Take care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Caroline Mulroney is with us, uh, leadership candidate for the PC Party of Ontario. Caroline, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. It's my pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, obviously, uh, a political family here. When you were a, a child and your dad was prime minister of the country, did you ever think one day, I'd like to try this? Did you ever think one day that you'd have a career in politics? I didn't think I wouldn't have a career in politics. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer like my dad had been. So that had been my plan. But growing up in Ottawa with my parents involved and so many of the people around me, uh, involved in politics, I really admired them. And um, 
saw so many people committed to working hard for a better Canada. That's what I saw when I was a kid. And so I think uh, in the back of my mind, I thought perhaps it was something I might do one day. Uh, can be a blood sport at some times, and I'm sure you saw that as a young person. Uh, did that ever enter your mind? Did that ever cross your mind that, wow, this is a pretty rough game? Uh, well, I've always thought that it was a bit of a, a, a rougher career, probably, uh, because uh, because I saw my parents, my dad, fight uh, so hard for things he believed in, but I think that that's what makes it worthwhile. And um, so that was uh, that was the reason I got into it, not for the for the fact that it's rough, but because I think it's worthwhile. What does the family now think of your career and in, in, in the direction you have decided to take? My parents? Yes. Yeah, well, my parents are proud. And my mother, uh, when I was making the decision on whether to run in the first place, um, I talked to my mother about it a lot because she was raising four kids uh, in politics, and I've got four children myself. So uh, she's they're, they're proud, they're excited for me. And, um, you know, they're very supportive. How does your family feel about this? Again, it's kind of, it's tough to juggle all of this. It is, but I've been working, my husband and I both work a lot, and so we've always been juggling, just like so many people across the province. Um, My kids are um, 13, 12, 12, and 10, and so they're... um, they're excited about the changes. They're learning a lot. Uh, I've been able to campaign, uh, to go door knocking with them uh, quite a bit. Uh, so they're excited about it. My my daughters are particularly sweet about it, asking me if this was a dream, and very proud of their mm. mom for doing this. So, uh, so it's, it's been it's wonderful. It's brought us closer together. Wow, what a great learning experience for them. That's for sure. Yeah. How do you think the debate went? How did it feel for you? I think the debate went very well. It was very lively, uh, for sure. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of things. You know, the moderator brought up a lot of issues. Uh, I, you know, I tried to focus on issues. Tried to make sure that the policies that I have been talking about, especially the last few days, were things that I could bring forth. Uh, and so I tried to do that the best I could, and uh, and so I thought it was a great it was a great night. Uh, many are saying afterwards this was Christine Elliott's and Doug Ford's night. How do you feel about that? I think I know that I had a great night. Uh, I got to talk about the things that, uh, as I said, the priorities that I've been focused on. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, back and forth, certainly from the other candidates. Um, and uh, but you know I, I I came I came there. I came to this race to talk about the things that matter, and that's what I was trying to do last night. I found it interesting at the end of the debate, uh, the, debate the moderator said, said, say something nice about uh, the rest of the people on the party. Do you think the party will be still divided after this leadership race? The party is, I know, working very, very hard to make sure that uh, we're as strong as we can be on March 10th. And, um, you know, we, as leadership candidates, we are in it to win it, each one of us. But at the same time, I know that everyone's focused on what's right for the party. Uh, but the way to to keep the party united is to elect the right leader. And that's why uh, I, I, I believe that uh, I will be the winner on March 10th. Uh, I can speak to what we need to do as a party to move forward, and I've talked about that already, some of the policy proposals that I put forth this week. Uh, but uh, but I look forward to being able to lead the party on March 10th. Hamilton, not a PC stronghold. Uh, what do you say to those who don't traditionally vote PC? The, there are more people ready to vote PC now than before. 
uh, after 15 years of Liberal government, I know that people, whether they voted PC in the past or not, are looking for change. And so this is a great opportunity to look very, if you haven't voted PC before, look very closely at what we're, what we're talking about and what kind of change we're going to bring because it's time uh, for a government that actually listens and makes uh, policy decisions that are in the long-term best interests of, of the people of Ontario. A big story in Hamilton over the last little bit. Uh, lots of chatter lately about Donald Trump uh, putting tariffs on Canadian steel. Uh, it certainly had the industry in, in a lot of disarray over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, how are you going to help protect Hamilton's steel industry? Where do you see this moving forward? We need to make sure that we are advocating strongly for our industries, and we need to start by working closely with businesses, not working against businesses, which is what this government has been doing, um, raising costs on uh, on companies of all sizes, and that includes steel companies in, in Hamilton. And we have to make sure that we're advocating well for their interests uh, in Ontario and abroad. How do you deal with that in the new world of Donald Trump south of the border? Well, I think uh, dealing with Donald Trump involves a lot of listening, uh, but you've also got to be very strong about what interests you're trying to protect. Uh, you know, my father has been working very hard on NAFTA to make sure that we keep uh, that we keep that uh, that agreement in place. Um, and so, you know, you've got to be uh, you've got to be ready to listen to what the Americans want to do, but at the same time, be ready to stand your ground. Hamilton uh, planning an LRT. This has been a pretty contentious topic for Hamiltonians for the last couple of years. If you are elected leader and then, of course, your party goes on to win, what can you tell Hamiltonians about this LRT? Are you still on board with all of this? Well, as for the, for the LRT uh, in Hamilton, uh, the City Council has approved it. It's something that I, I believe that what the province needs to do is listen to municipalities on these issues about what their priorities are, so that's what I will continue to do. Uh, in the debate last night, a, a couple of key topics came up, and uh, you could see opposition react to this the next day, uh, the first one being sex ed. Uh, do the PCs want to, want to venture down this road again? Uh, what's the purpose of, of opening this can of worms? What, what's your feeling on all of this? That has been a, a topic of debate among the other uh, leadership candidates. I've been clear on it. I won't reopen it. Um, it's been in place now for three years. Uh, I do believe that uh, what happened with the curriculum is that parents were not adequately consulted and that going forward when I'm premier, any changes I will, that any policy, any legislation that I will bring forward that affects families, I will make sure that parents are thoroughly uh, consulted because that's why parents are so upset about it but I won't reopen the debate uh, other candidates have said that they will are you worried that this drags the PC party down and just gives more fuel for the opposition no I mean this is what happens in, during a leadership uh, contest members want to debate issues that matter to them and uh, it happens in public but that's the right way for it to happen and the, the what, what's important is that we all emerge stronger and as long as we're ref respectful of one another as we have these debates and as we have these conversations uh, I, it, it is not damaging it actually makes us stronger are you worried this will affect your base because this does seem to appeal to the base well we'll see and at the end but I think that it has uh, appealed to certainly a number of conservatives but I also have heard from 
from others that uh, that believe that we should not reopen it and we need to move forward. Uh, let's move on to the carbon tax. Uh, obviously, during uh, Patrick Brown's uh, People's Guarantee, he, he talked about a carbon tax. Obviously, uh, the, the night of the debate, that was another issue where uh, the candidates seemed to want to change the direction. How do you move forward with the People's Guarantee? How much of that do you incorporate? And, and where does carbon tax fit into all of this? Well, the People's Guarantee has a number of uh, great policy geared at making sure that life is more affordable for the people of Ontario. And so those are the elements from the People's Guarantee that I am going to keep, and they'll form the, the foundation of my plan. And things aimed at cutting taxes for the middle class, reducing hydro rates, cutting red tape, and so on. Um, and all those measures together will help us grow the economy so we can invest in mental health and child care rebates. Um, so that's the basis of the of the plan. The carbon tax was an element of the uh, funding mechanism for the People's Guarantee. And as as leader, I oppose the carbon tax. But we'll be able to fund it by making sure that we find waste uh, across the government. The People's Guarantee had a value for money audit looking for two cents on every dollar. I know that we can do better. The Liberals have done an excellent job of wasting our money over the last 15 years. And the Auditor General keeps finding uh, instances of waste uh, that can be cut. And so that's how we're going to do, uh, that's how we're going to fund our platform. Are you worried that Ontarians are going to view your party as being uh, environmental? Are you, are you worried that, uh, or, or even the Prime Minister just imposing his own carbon tax on Ontario? I think the people of Ontario expect the Premier of Ontario to stand up for their interests. So the federal government can decide that they want to impose something. Uh, but if it is too expensive, it's too, if it's the wrong thing for the people of Ontario, the, the job of the Premier is to fight for that. Um, we cannot take a carbon tax when we're already, life is already so unaffordable. And there are people across this province who cannot afford to change their behavior. They have to drive to work. They have to heat their homes. And so a carbon tax will just make that harder and more difficult for them to, 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 to live their lives. And so that's why the carbon tax is something that I plan to oppose. But, you know, conservation is, uh, is a conservative principle. And conserving the environment for future generations through good stewardship is something that, I would, that, I, that, is, that will be very important to, to my government. And there are lots of ways that we can do that without adding to the tax burden of Ontarians. A lot of Ontarians uh, just absolutely, uh, well, I'll just say upset, extremely upset over what has happened uh, to the energy, the electricity system in this province over the last couple of years. One of the candidates uh, the other night said, I'm going to rip these things right out of the ground, meaning wind turbines. <laughs> uh, what is your plan? And is there anything we can do about this or, or are we locked in? There is absolutely something we can do about it, and it will be a top priority because um, of all the things that Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals have done to harm Ontario, the mess that they made of our hydro system is probably right at the top. So we need to do two things. We need to provide relief right away for homeowners, for ratepayers, businesses. We need to lower electricity rates, and we can do that by using the money the province receives from Hydro One. But we also have to look at the structural problems that have been created through the Green Energy Act. So that's why we have to scrap the Green Energy Act. And we also have to look, and this was discussed last night, at getting out of the expensive energy contracts where it makes financial sense to do so. There are places where we can get out of them. It depends on the timing of the contract, how how far along we are. Um, And also there are 
clauses that will allow us to get out of the contract. There may be some costs associated, but we have to look very closely at the long-term re- risk versus reward of those of that decision. But we absolutely can and have to do something about it. Caroline Mulrooney is with us. Caroline, can we just rip these things out of the ground like the dandelions? I don't think we can do that, but we have to look at trying to uh, to undo a lot of the damage that they have done, and and it has had a significant impact on the landscape of rural Ontario, uh, and it was done without consulting landowners and municipalities, and that's why we have to take a very hard look at everything that they've done and see what we can undo. Uh, any advice from your parents, especially your dad, as you venture down this road? Well, my dad's dad, dad advice was to drive safe because I was going to be driving around a lot. Um, but his also, you know, his, his, his more political advice was just to always be listening. And uh, he, has, uh, he, he did that very well. He was always reaching out to party members, to caucus members, to people across the country. I saw him do that all the time. And so his advice was to always be listening. And for my mother, for my mother, she said, make sure you find time for uh, the important family things. The leadership race is six weeks, so it's very constrained in terms of the timing. But I am trying to make sure that I don't miss any of the big moments in my kids' lives, and that's uh, what my mother recommended. Doug Ford paid you a compliment uh, the other night, said you had a great future, uh, whether you win or not. If you lose, will you continue on in this venture? Well, I am going to win, so that's a hypothetical. Uh, <laughs> but regard, but it, even as as leader, I will continue on my quest to become the MPP for York Simcoe. And so, my plan is to sit at Queens Park as the MPP for York Simcoe, and uh, also as uh, leader of the PC Party and Premier. If there are members of the PC Party listening right now, and I'm sure you hope that there are, why should they vote for you as opposed to the other candidates? because we have not won an election uh, in over a generation. The last time the PC party won an election was 19 years ago. So we have let the Liberals run this province for 15 years. So it's just the ways of the past don't work. We need something new. We need something different. We need to turn the page. Um, we ne- I have come to this. Uh, I'm the only nominated candidate in this race. I decided last year that I wanted to do something about the fact that Kathleen Wynne was mortgaging my kids' future to pay for her bad policies, uh, and I was tired of that. And so I'm the only nominated candidate who has the commitment to do it, and I bring 20 years of private sector experience. So I have a very good understanding of how our economy works and how it should be working better. Uh, and, And I don't have a lot of political baggage. I'm very new to this. And so uh, I bring a completely fresh approach to to governing. And I think it's exactly what this party needs to finally defeat the Liberals. Is it more exciting than law? Yes, it is much more exciting than anything I've done before. Um, It is a fast pace, but it's interesting. I get to talk to people about things that matter to them every day, fight for issues that matter to me stand up for things, um, and I get to work with really committed volunteers who are really excited about this chance to finally defeat the Liberals. Caroline Mulrooney has been with us, leadership candidate for the PC Party of Ontario. Caroline, thank you so much for the time. Good luck. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.
We've talked at length uh, over the years on this show, and, and certainly uh, others have talked about uh, kids and their exercising or eating habits, uh, the increase in obesity. Weight Watchers is going to be offering teens between the age of 13 to 17 free summer memberships as a way to double revenue and its memberships. Is this going to cause some harm when it comes to body image for these kids? Uh, is this a good way to address this issue, or is this just about making money for Weight, Watcher, uh, weight Watchers? Michelle Tunison is with us, spokesperson, National Eating Disorder Information Center, and is with us now. Michelle, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate this. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. So this is an interesting, uh, an interesting solution to this problem, which we've been talking about for an awfully long time. I- I'm not sure we're really making too many gains on all of this, especially in the United States. What are your thoughts? on having Weight Watchers uh, weighing in on this, no pun intended, for kids with, uh, with free summer camps. Right. Well, we definitely do have some concerns. We don't know, like, the whole details of the program, but we are concerned that they are a profit company and they do stand to benefit financially from specifically Weight Watch initiatives. So to have this target to 13 to 17 years old who themselves still developing their bodies, not grown yet. Um, It is a concern for us, absolutely. Does this mean that it's bad, though, just because they're a commercial operation that specializes in losing weight? I mean, obviously there must be some sort of success to it, otherwise they wouldn't still be in business. Um, uh, You know, it's an issue. They're trying to address it. What's wrong with that? Right, and there is certainly the myth out there that diets are successful, but as a matter of fact, research does show that 95% of diets do fail, specifically for the reason of the restriction of calories, makes the body go into a defensive mode itself, um, slows down the metabolism, so it makes it very, it's sort of counterintuitive to what the body is needing, so there's really no success rate for diets, regardless of the statistics that they may put forward. But is this really about dieting, or is it about a changing of lifestyle? Again, I mean, you know, I, I think we've all seen enough diets come and go to, to know that at the end of the day, it's about what you eat and how much you exercise, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a full meal deal, so to speak. It's just not one element of this. Sure. Um, that being said, what about the, the uh, you know, meal planning and, and just education around good eating? Right, exactly. But that's the thing about just focusing on food as opposed to make it a lifestyle, right? There's a difference um, in language with dieting and lifestyle. Lifestyle includes everything, the movement of the body, the nourishing of the body, the yeah, listening to the body's cues of when it's hungry, when it, you know, when it needs to do what it needs to do. And dieting sort of counters those messages that the body is trying to send. Why do we think dieting is any, uh, dieting seems to be a bad word because I guess there's no miracle, there's no silver bullet here, there's no magic way of doing it other than what we were talking about earlier. And, And I certainly don't know the Weight Watchers program, but at the end of the day, wouldn't there have to be a certain amount of, you know, like once the diet's over, you gotta maintain it at the end of the day. So I'm guessing, and again, I don't know, that there would be a certain amount of nutritional uh, information in, in how to meal plan and, and keep the weight off. Well, that maintenance word is, is uh, a pretty important word, actually, because um, like the, the body has its already natural rhythms before we're even born. These things are already predetermined. There is evidence, uh, lots of evidence around that. So that maintenance is 
supposed to be just about maintaining what your body wants. If you're challenging that by introducing diets or changing things that go against your body's natural algorithms, that's where the competition within the body takes place. And that's where that we're dieting maintenance. Maintenance is just about taking care of yourself the way your mind and your body wants it to be taken care of. That's really what maintenance is. And again, I don't know the program, but I'm assuming that most diets, you know, get into that. Do they not? I mean, it's not just a case of doing this, eating this, and then, you know, the weight falling off. Uh, obviously, there's more to it. I don't think we're that naive anymore to think that there's a magic pill mm-hmm. or a magic diet that's going to, that's going to uh, take the weight off. You know, when we've got, uh, uh, some have said, an epidemic of, of obesity, certainly with kids in the United States, um, is, is this not a starting point, or do you think this is just heading down a wrong path from, from step one? Yes, and we're not saying that, you know, obesity is not a concern, absolutely, but again, it's looking to the causes of that. Is it just about the food we eat? Are there other um, things going on that, you know, medical, whatever it might be? So we just have to, I think we have to be careful of just equating obesity with just being about diet, right? It, it definitely goes much deeper than that. So you're introducing the psychological element to this exactly, as well? Exactly, that's right. So uh, rather than Weight Watchers, what should parents do if they're concerned about their yeah, child's weight? Yeah, and that's weight? very valid concern too. Um, just to focus on the, um, the fun of food, right? To not use food as a reward or punishment, to not divide foods into, you know, good and bad, um, just to make, um, enjoy, make family meal times. Um, and of course, just, you know, teach them to listen to, to their bodies, to the, their body's cues of what they're telling them. I mean, we tell them in every other way, right? With um, toilet training, for example, it's the same kind of thing. Follow your body's cues. It will tell you when it's hungry. It will tell you when it's full. It will tell you when it needs to move. So we just really need to teach kids to listen to their own bodies algorithms and cues and internal messages. So you're concerned this is just a way for them to drum up business for themselves and get people in early? That, that would be, <clears throat> from our point of view, it is, a, it is a concern, absolutely. It is a concern to be targeting with such a young ages, which, like I said, their bodies haven't even finished developing yet, and you're already getting into them, um, you know, categorizing food and they don't even at you know 13 to 17 you're still discovering your foods which you like and don't like what fits with you and so if you're already going to put restrictions on that it's again going to interfere with their natural development uh is diet a bad word i mean again mm-hmm. i remember like the 70s 80s there were like tons of books all the time and videos mm-hmm. on this stuff they've seemed to have fallen by the wayside have we got the message that diet isn't the uh, diet's isn't the answer or aren't the answer that it is a, a lifestyle and it's it, there's more to it there's lots of layers to this onion um well that's <laughs> i dieting yes for sure i mean i'm not so sure if we've got the message there's still a lot of money to be made in the dieting industry so i wouldn't say that we've entirely got the message but what organizations like netic tries to do is try to you know, counter some of those messages a little bit that health and well-being is more than just the food that you put in your body. Are, are companies like Weight Watchers missing the boat, missing the point by not incorporating more of the lifestyle into this? Um, and maybe they are, I don't know. Um, but again, has it, got to the, has it got to the point where diet just isn't a positive word anymore? 
Um, in that context, absolutely, with the diet, because it's automatically associated with restriction, with, you know, denying your body, right, denying um, what otherwise might give you pleasure, right? So you will end up having that fight with yourself, you know, um, tell, tell someone they can't have something and immediately they want it, right? So you, uh, it starts automatically with that message in the brain. So it, it, right off the bat, there's a conflict, right, just within the word absolutely so getting back to parents who may have an issue and are concerned about their kids what advice what should they do to start at the doctor's office absolutely if there are concerns with um with uh you know that they don't think there's enough nutrition or the caloric intake isn't matching what they're um, externally outputting a doctor's visit is a good place you can definitely contact us at netic at one eight six 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 three three four two two zero. We're happy to have conversations with parents and, you know, discuss some of the concerns that they have and see what steps may be taken if necessary. Absolutely. Michelle Tunison has been with us, spork- uh, spokesperson, National Eating Disorder Information Center. Michelle, thanks for your time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you very much, Scott. Have a great day. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML.